Hey everybody, welcome back to a brand new episode of Mikeadelic. I'm Mike Brancatelli. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us here on this consciousness expanding conversational confluence of connectivity and um, something else with a C. <laughs> so thanks. Thank you for for tuning in and listening and joining us on this on this uh, conversation today. Today's guest is Leah Friedman. Leah Friedman is an amazing human being. She is a teacher, a writer. She's the co-founder of Ben, the Boston Entheogenic Network. She is the host of her own podcast, The Psychologist Consciousness Positive Radio. She is the Integration Resource List Volunteer Coordinator for MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. And she is a permaculturist residing at Happy Acres Farm in Connecticut. What a wonderful name for a farm, and I hope you're all in a state of being in your own version of a happy acre, a happy acre environment for yourself that you're cultivating in your own life right now. And thank you for allowing me the pleasure of being inside of your ear holes and the privilege of me just letting these vibrational frequencies eject from the lowest hole in my face and worm their way out through the air into the you know be, being absorbed by the, the the black foam ball that sits around this metal uh, object and transmitted through these wires so that you can understand what is going on inside of my meat computer and I can technologically mediate some version of telepathy from my mind to yours as these words that are going into your ears and traveling through your brain and making your synapses fire on different levels to project some kind of symbolic imagery that then you can extract some possible meaning out of in this sort of form in which we're existing in right now in this weird internet landscape but I feel grateful, I feel privileged, I feel uh, excited that we do live in this time right now, that we can use this wonderful, amazing technology to share and to connect and try and elevate ourselves up to a, a higher level to enact some kind of greater change for ourselves, for our relationships, for our friends, for our environment, for our community, for our world. And, uh, and yeah, that's why... I really loved, I love this conversation with Leah. I just really did. I mean, you know, we, we couldn't be more different people, but I think that we were, we're, we're just coming from different places, but I think there's a lot of, there's, there's differences and similarities, but it really, it was a great mesh of those things. And I hope you'll, you'll see that in the show. And we, we, you know, we talked about a lot of things like her work focuses on, uh, consciousness through the lens of social and environmental justice and you know bridging the 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 gaps of of the, you know the 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 intersections that, that are out there of, of psychedelics and, and ecology and and she's just doing some really amazing work and and really stuff that I'm I'm psyched to be learning about and and to share on the show and to be a part of and so yeah and 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 our interaction, you know, the way that we linked up, the way that we met, it was very interesting and we tell that story at the end of the show. So stick around and listen to the end of the show because I'm really I'm really happy at the way our first interaction um what happened 
by with our first interaction and how that evolved and how this relationship has grown out of that. And I think it's just a great story to tell. It's a good example uh, to share of maybe how, you know, sometimes that we are confronted with, with, with situations or people in our lives that, that cause us maybe to like go like retreat to our little caves and get defensive or, you know, be reactionary, or maybe, maybe we're not in a good place and, you know, we're starting to project some things out onto other people and these sorts of things. So I'm just, I'm, I'm happy that, uh, that we were able to take uh, a first interaction that could have potentially just been like disastrous and turn it into something really wonderful and beautiful and got the chance to uh, have a conversation and share a lot of things that we both feel very passionately about. And that really is the goal. That's the goal there is to try and find a way to accept the call that is being sent down, that is being transmitted from the higher states of consciousness that are available to us if we choose to participate in them. And it's not easy. It's not easy to do. And it's not about waving a magic wand and getting rid of any sort of like judgment or defensiveness or uh, emotional, uh, you know, aggressiveness or hostility, whatever, whatever comes along. This is part of being human. This is a, a fundamental part of being a whole and complete human being is to experience a wide range of all of these sorts of emotions and, and, and feelings and experiences. And it's not necessarily about making them go away, but it's about cultivating a sense of awareness. It's about building up, you know, the building the, of that muscle to constantly be in a state of checking yourself and checking your awareness and, and and not in this like obsessive way but just to just to be aware just to say oh okay interesting there's somebody here with a differing perspective than me maybe this is an opportunity for me to learn something maybe if i if i react in a way that is uh you know that is aggressive or hostile or mean i'll shut down an opportunity to to be exposed to a different, a different way of looking at something, a different perspective, you know, a, di- a different thing. And maybe, and just maybe, that different view, we could find similarities and we could find common ground. Maybe, maybe that's the, bi- that's the way that we build this puzzle of a better reality, is to put aside any sort of, you know, um, any, anything that is calling us to come down and 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 throw you know play in the dirt and throw mud and instead answer the call to the higher self and if you if you have the avil- the ability to do that i think it's a, just a wonderful thing because it open it it opens you up and you grow and you learn and you build and and we're all in a sense if we want to build a better world if we want to build a better environment for us to to exist in and to live in and to participate in if we want to you know vote for a, a, a better version of life that we have to participate in it. We have to take our puzzle piece and see where we can fit it in the puzzle because everybody has a puzzle piece. Everybody has an opportunity to contribute to the larger picture of the puzzle that we're trying to build. And instead of just trying to jam your piece in somewhere or get upset at the game and just say, oh, this is stupid or I don't want to play this game or this is, well, you know, let's, no, it's about saying, okay, I accept this, I'm aware of this and let me see where I can fit in into this larger vision. 
And I think that everybody who listens to this show has some kind of idea of a larger vision that they want to achieve for themselves and their own lives or how they would like to see things play out in the world. And really, it's about tapping into the, the, the energetic field in which we emit on a daily basis that is also available to us like super highways that are flying by our faces. Every, at every moment of the day, there's energy that's being put out there that's either calling us to participate in a lower vibrational frequency of energy or that's calling us to participate in a higher vibrational frequency of energy. And if we can hop on that higher uh, you know, highway of energy that that it's we're really like inventing kind of like invisible energetic spiritual cosmic tools to sort of work through this landscape, this environment in order to use the right tools to communicate and to participate and to share and and uh, connect in a way that elevates. That, that elevates us. And you know, the problem is we don't live in a world that encourages this behavior. We live in a world that encourages divisiveness, polarization, uh, team sides, shouting people down, um, you know, being aggressive, hostile, violent, defensive, reactionary. This is the, the predominant mode of reality in which that is being thrust upon us to participate in, to conform in, the, the reality that we've been conditioned to uh, exist in since birth, you know, since, since being put into school and to going through uh, the education system and, and everything into this. We've been conditioned to accept these, you know, this version of what we call reality, but it's not the only version that's out there and we don't have to participate in it. And it's very difficult to disengage from it. It's very easy to get sucked in. It's very easy to get sucked into your your team, to your tribe, to your cause, to your beliefs, to your what you believe is right. And the information on the internet, it, it's out there. It's out there. You can You can get into your little comfort bubble and you can be there and you can exist in your little reality tunnel and not let anybody else in and not let any other perspectives or views in. And you can live that way if you'd like. But there is also another option. And really, the thing is that there are many options. There are many options. There's things that we don't even know that we don't know. To use the famous phrase from fucking Donald Rumsfeld, the unknown unknown. Or the unknown knowns, the known unknowns, whatever he said. But anyway, my point in saying all of this is to really just drive home the point that the greatest thing I think that the established power fears is people coming together to oppose them. And I think the only way that we change the world and make it a better place is if we understand that we do have a choice, that if when we're being, you know, when we're in situations that that challenge us, that we understand that we have a choice to either rise up to a higher level or to continue at the same level or even lower ourselves to a lower level. That we do have these choices and that if we are interested in building a better world and improving our lives and improving the situation in which we exist in, that by coming, the only way that we achieve this is by coming together, by being the social creatures that we are, by being the social animals that we are, and by uniting and coming together to, you know, oppose 
the 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 things that we see out in the world that we don't like and that we don't want to participate in and you know that it comes with it comes with sacrifice it comes with sacrifice of saying no i won't i will not comply no i will not obey no i will not conform it comes with sacrifices but i believe that ultimately those sacrifices are worth it if we're trying to achieve a larger vision and you know we can we can scale this down on an individual level it's like you know what to do you know how you know if you if you eat healthy that it's good for you you know that if you know you do certain things that you're able to be more productive by asserting you know yourself and and pushing forward to achieve you know something that you desire that you have to take the necessary steps in order to enact that change that we know that on an individual level and it is challenging and it's even more challenging on a on a collective level on a larger level on a societal and cultural level you know but the the whole reason why i do this show is to try and you know provoke thought you know to try and get get people thinking about like well maybe there is maybe there is something else maybe there is another way to exist maybe there is another way to think maybe there is another way to participate maybe there is another way you know to create a reality that i would like to 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 be a part of but anyway uh, that being said I think uh, the conversation is interesting and engaging and speaks for itself. And so let's get to that. But before we do, just want to give a quick shout out to uh, some some local Denver people for thanks for messaging me, Daniela, uh, Matthew, Matt Crawford. Thanks. I uh, hope you don't mind me dropping your name on the on the show, but had an awesome time hanging out with you, going to the show. Thanks for the cactus. And uh, you're the man. So thank you to, to those people. Thanks to all the new people who are supporting me on Patreon. Um, if you want to support the show on Patreon, you can donate as little as a dollar a month. Um, you can go there at patreon.com slash Mike Brank. And you can donate as little as a dollar a month or $2 a month or $3 a month, whatever it is that you want to do. Every little bit helps. Thank you to all the people that support the show by leaving reviews. Um, five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. We have 137 five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. And man, I love getting those reviews and, and looking at them and reading them. And thank you so much for all the people that reach out and, and ask questions and want to contact me and stuff. And thanks to all the people in the WhatsApp chat group, the Mycadelic Inner Sanctum. Thank you for all the interesting information that you share in there and the conversations. And thank you for all that. If you want uh, to get a discount on um, plant-based and ketogenic nutrition products, go to synchro, bsynchro.com and uh, enter the code mycadelic at checkout for 20% off uh, all their items there. And also check out Hemp Bombs. Go to hempbombs.com. Check out their CBD products. I love the gummies. I think they're great. And um, you get 15% off there by entering the code Mike15. All right, that's it. Leah Friedman is the guest today. We had a great conversation and I hope you guys enjoy it too. Thanks. Take care. Psychedelics are illegal not because a loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. They open to us the possibility that everything we know is wrong. We don't need new laws that control our consciousness and rigidly place it in a prison. Cognitive liberty. The fact that as adults, if we're not hurting anybody 
else, we should have the right to explore the contours of our own consciousness without any mediation or legislation on the part of somebody else. Reject authority. Authority is a lie. Of Information is power. But we have to seize, seize the opportunity. The opportunity. The opportunity. such a great time in at the Ben event that I saw you at in in Boston so I was living there for five weeks just temporarily um, my girlfriend used to live there and then she went traveling around the world we met at an ayahuasca center <laughs> and we decided to say hey where are we gonna live we picked Denver but she wanted to be in Boston so it was nice it was an enjoyable experience and I really had a great time I I don't often get out to events like that and I just I really I really liked it it was so much fun there were so many interesting people there and um, I know that you you had you're like the co-founder of, of Ben right yes <clears throat> Ben was not always Ben um, it first was the Boston area radical consciousness and psychedelic meetup group and that was my current What's the acronym for that? who started it <laughs> yeah <laughs> Barkirk 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 <laughs> Yeah, and we did we did Ben because we wanted something acronymable. Um, but yeah, he Matt uh, Matty Peru, he started that when he got home from Dreamglade and was in Boston, Boston, and felt the need to and the call to find the others and uh, support the others finding each other. So he started it up, and then while he was, you know, getting things rolling, he felt the call to travel again, and so he left and nothing was going on with the group. My colleague Nathaniel Putnam asked me if I'd like to help start something. So we linked up, created Ben, and another person, Nikki Stearns, came on. And then within a year or less, Matt came back from traveling. We met at the first, um, it was sort of like a conference event we had at Ben. It was called A Trip to the Past, Boston's Psychedelic History. Because well, there's psychedelic history in Boston, actually. Oh, yeah, Are big, you aware of that? Oh, big time. Yeah, I mean, that's... As far as I know, where pretty much everything that I got that got started there with Richard Alpert and Timothy Leary at Harvard. Um, I mean, that's is there something further back that I or is it? Well, for um, <clears throat> there's always something further back. I mean, I am still trying to learn if there's an in, a plant indigenous to this area that's hallucinogenic, right? Because that would like the actual far back stuff. But no, pretty much starting there with yeah. the Good Friday experiments. I mean the the right, right. Western industrialized mainstream psychedelic movement had a lot of roots in Boston. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure that there were maybe some native people in the lands beforehand experimenting with some sort of altered states of consciousness that we're maybe not aware of right now. But yeah, as far as the modern birth of the psychedelic movement, yes, I remember reading about that. And I remember because it was after a very profound LSD experience I had and I 
you know, you grow up learning about this in the mainstream way where it's this drug and it's bad and it's going to put holes in your brain. It stays in your spine. I don't know, whatever these messages that we get in you know, these fear based messages. I remember seeing this and thinking, oh, my God, wait a second. I'm not crazy. This was there was something happening here at Harvard with some people. And it's pretty interesting. And I followed that path along. And it was it was a very eye opening and rewarding path to follow. Yes, absolutely. <clears throat> well, John Latin uh, was a great writer, and he wrote a book called The Harvard Psychedelic Club. It's kind of a the boy's tale of all those early shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Kind of like uh, the the formation of like, um, I, I just watched this, this movie uh, about National Lampoon magazine. It's like kind of a <laughs> similar type of thing, but in a different genre, if you will. Yeah. Great. Yes. Great connection there. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, so at Trip to the Past, um, we coordinated a couple of people to come and speak, and uh, the first night was a storytelling night, so I told a story about my first LSD trip, and that was really captivated by my story, and um, we met soon after that, and Would you we got together. Would you share that story here, or is it only for sure, live events? Sure, <laughs> Is this I'll what you got you started PR. in the psychedelic field? Um, what got me st- started was dating a coworker who was into psychedelics, into high doses of mushrooms, uh, or it, high doses of anything, actually. Um, but he was working with mushrooms, and I was really judgmental of him. Um, I thought that that was, I thought all the things, the holes in your brain. And um, when he and I broke up, actually, is when I started exploring psychedelics, because I missed him, and he brought a lot into my life. And mm. I was trying to see about embodying the things I'd begun to learn. He taught me about Vipassana and he had moved to India to do a reforestation thing. So that was like the beginning of, well, the the real beginning of my consciousness journey was someone giving me a copy of Tricycle Magazine. Have you ever heard of that? No, 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 I haven't. I haven't. I went to public school. I had never, so I will tell the first LSD story, but first let me give you this. Yeah. Um, I went to public school in Massachusetts and I learned so very little about indigenous people on this continent um, so very little about other religions. Uh, I didn't learn about any religions, actually. I had friends that went to Catholic school. I think I learned some things from from them. But um, yeah, my my education was really, I, I don't even know what it was focused on. Like what was the, I guess maybe focused on science and technology, but there's just a huge gap in like the humanities aspect of that. Yeah. And um, so when I got my first when I read this first article about non-duality, it was like, it was hard to swallow. It was really intense. And I happened to be traveling to Peru at the time. This oh, wow. okay. neighbor, he knew I was going to Machu Picchu. And he, H- how he old said, were you? Like, I was uh, 23, maybe okay. 22 or 23. All right, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I had, uh, I didn't care much for drinking. Um, I'd smoked pot, you know, I never thought too much of it. Although I had a folder in my phone called Hideas. I was like these ideas I got when <laughs> That's I was awesome. high. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, apart from that, I didn't recognize the benefit in altered consciousness experiences. Um, and when I was hiking up Huayna Picchu, which is like one of the peaks that's over Machu Picchu at yeah, 5 a.m. Yeah. or something, I kept having these weird lightness, these feelings of lightness and dissolution of my body. And uh, I sat on top of the peak and had a spiritual experience that I that I don't even remember. How, I don't know how to describe it, but I know that I was writing in my journal. I don't know what's happening, and uh, but it felt really good, really familiar, like home. 
And um, after that, I yeah, dated that man who was into psychedelics. And then in an attempt to impress him, I got connected with an ayahuasca center and decided that I would go drink ayahuasca. Okay. In Peru? Uh, no, in Costa Rica. In Costa Rica. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I was. it was a Another coincidence, I was just going to Costa Rica. Um, after we broke up, I wanted to travel. And beautiful I had place, also both fired Peru and Costa Rica. Very beautiful. Oh, yeah. Huge places for me, too. Yes, yeah. they are. So, yeah, in this LSD trip, I, I didn't create intention, but thankfully, I cleaned up my space and sort of like there was some ritual to it in that way. Um, but I took it. And then my grandmother, who I lived, used to live in her basement, she yelled downstairs, can you bring something down to your auntie's house? <laughs> and I'm like looking at the time. Oh, it's been a half hour. Okay, I think I can make it. So I grabbed this like pot full of something and brought it down the street to my auntie and ran back. And then, yeah, the, the visuals were starting to come in. I'm like, fuck, okay. So I laid down and I'm like, I need music. Oh yeah, people listen to music when they do this. Okay, <laughs> I get that. <laughs> and I wanted to listen to sensual drums. So I had my sensual drums. Um, so I actually on the ayahuasca music that the center had said, make sure you listen to this before you come because we want you to be able to sing along. It's kind of like a daime, pseudo daime place. Right. And I uh, put that on. And in that trip, I <clears throat> I had a lot of incredible visuals. It was really great LSD. And one of the things I saw were my plants, which I neglected, sorely neglected plants, mm. um, growing, growing new tendrils and, and like dancing and then withering and dying mm. and then growing new tendrils and then withering and dying. And I was, I was just, you know, completely um, amazed watching this cycle of life and death in front of me. And I realized so I, I have had issues with um, eating disorder in my whole life, different eating disorders and body dysmorphia. And I realized that some of my uh, alienation from my body and from food was related to being disconnected from the cycles of nature. That I produce waste and it doesn't become anything. It stays waste. It rots. Um, that I take and use, but I don't give back at all. So that sort of thought was present with me. And for the next days, I was really depressed because um, no one in my life used drugs, really. And I didn't feel there was anyone I could talk to about it. There was one person. I was talking to him, um, but I didn't know how to look for help. And then I got my period. I started to bleed a few days later. And I thought, okay, well, maybe I was so emotional because I was PMSing. And, and I didn't think any deeper into it than that at that time either. I now recognize that being sensitive before I bleed is a time of deeper intuition and no bullshit. And right. uh, it's a visionary time for sure. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, the real psychedelic experience came when um, I removed my diva cup. It's like a cup that catches the menstrual blood inside. I'm familiar. <laughs> oh, sweet. Nice. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Highly recommend. <clears throat> and I looked at it. And usually I wouldn't look at it. I would just, you know, dump it in the toilet and you know, just like go on with my day, clean it, pop it back in. Um, but I actually looked at the blood and because after you take LSD for the first time, you look at everything like right, yeah. differently. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was swirling and kind of oily and had these different rich colors. And I thought I was looking at the universe in a way. Wow. 
so that was the story that I told and the beginning of my journey in so many ways because I work with the land now. I've taken a permaculture course, um, Starhawk's Earth Activist Training. Starhawk is an activist and a permaculture teacher and a witch and a writer, popular writer. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm I'm working in a way related to um, I don't I don't call it the sacred feminine to myself, but I'm trying to think of how to call it to your listeners. Just it's not it it doesn't not include men or non-binary folks. It's not focused on women, but it is this. I, I think it's like the truth that those who've been oppressed for their gender and sex know a truth related to that oppression. And I'm still finding out really what what all of it is that I'm doing here. But those were some of my roots. Awesome. Yeah. And roots not just coming like from you, but connected to the earth and like the cosmos and this whole you know, it's not an accident that like what had happened to you when you had taken the psychedelic is what happened to you. You know, it's like this meaning is trying to communicate something really deep and profound. And if you're interpreting it in in this way, it's like, it's cool. It's like a puzzle trying to figure out, right? Like where are you going to build from? And yeah, that's awesome. What a story. Yeah, exactly. The the linear look of like, was I seeing the future or, you know, was was that the past coming true or was it me getting an idea that I've now followed it's like if you stop looking at time as being linear and um sort of two-dimensional then <clears throat> or whatever what dimension is time anyway is that well the fourth <laughs> I'm not sure uh I I I know where you're going I don't I'm not sure if time has a labeled dimension does it I'm not smart enough to know so no not that kind of smart <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, yeah. So uh, all the the great becoming, yeah, that was part of the beginning. And so, and you were in college at this time? No, I'd finished college. I had my master's. You had your master's. Okay. And so, clinical psychology. In clinical psychology, right. And then, so, and then you had this experience. And then, what sort of came after that? Was there, um, I know you talked about like founding Ben, but that was later, right? Yeah. yeah, that was a few years later. The next thing that happened was I went to Costa Rica for three months. I did work trade at a hostel in Uvita called Cascada Verde that's mm-hmm. still there. I drank ayahuasca and had more profound realizations and continued my work. I came home at the end of March to Massachusetts and was like, becoming, you know, I was becoming and I felt like a different person. But then back in the winter, back in the same environment, I started to feel myself withering. And I got this insight one day that in Costa Rica, all of these seeds germinated in such an abundant place. It's like the the jungle. Yeah. And I realized I have to water these plants that were propagating. So I kind of, I was just perusing Facebook for something to do. And I found symposia's conference at UMass Amherst back a bunch of years ago, um, envisioning a future post-prohibition was the name of it. And nice. yeah, it was it was an awesome conference. Like I haven't been to one like that since it. It had all oh, wow. different voices. Um, that was my introduction to a lot of my female now friends and superheroes, though. Catherine McLean, Nishay Devineau, uh, Britta Love. I saw them all speak there. And Kalindi Iyi was there. The Beantown Ghetto Shaman, Abdul Wilkins. He's a really amazing guy. Yeah. Awesome. Nice. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I've been to Costa Rica as well. I had a great time there and and Peru too. And it's like, 
oftentimes when you go to these places, it really it can help inform you to bring something back as well. Not just the the experiences that we have, but I think also just like the culture. And one of the things I I liked about Costa Rica was like reading that they they don't have a military. They don't have a, a standing military. Um, they you know they really invest in their public schools and the people there seem very at ease with life at least in the parts where where I was it seemed to be that way and yeah travel has been a, a good chunk of like my discovery as well traveling to other places other cultures you know seeing how other people live really seeing how other people live and then also having um, you know psychedelic experiences as well and then when you put those two things together and come back into the world you know, you're, you're back into sort of like the, your native creation continuum now. Like, it's like, okay, cool. Like bring what you've learned and like, let's see if you can integrate this into this like toxic society that we live in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. I, I think that I used to go away and think I was seeing other cultures because I was at places for tourists or white people, you know, that were staffed by po folks who lived there and they seemed nice. They were very courteous. And so I'm like, oh, I've seen another culture. They talk differently. That's seeing another culture. It's not really immersion. <laughs> right. you, you have to make an effort and you have to be willing to give and give up to really know another culture. Yeah. yeah so do you think that's played a, a significant role in your journey? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, I had been to a few places and had true um, immersion into other cultures. Like a, a cousin of mine wanted to visit her best friend in Africa who was living in, um, I'm trying to, Namacha, this village right below or right above the border with Swaziland in Mozambique. Okay. So I went wow. to Mozambique oh, when wow. I was like 20. And that was really, really intense. Like where they lived, they would pay their neighbor. Um, she would go get them a couple gallons of water and carry it on her head up like a mile long hill and and like and like every day and um yeah they really they love carrying the with the heads there they like that all a lot all over the world they they do that i think i think it's actually a good if you have the neck for it <laughs> yeah right and if you've been carrying stuff then you do have the neck for it it's yeah, a lot exactly. more efficient yeah yeah less fatigue but yeah, so I'd seen I'd seen and experienced some things, and yeah, travel continues to be a part of my journey. Um, I'm actually spending my first winter in New England since I began the psychedelic journey five years ago. I'm living here on the farm all winter now, and it's been it's been a trip here through the ice and the snow and bringing hay to the cows when it's freezing rain and we're slipping and falling on our asses. So. Yeah, tell me about the farm. That sounds really interesting. Um, y y when did you move there? I moved here in April. Um, <clears throat> I this past winter, I I did a lot of travel. My father was living in Brazil, so I like went and visited him in Brazil, and then I went to Guatemala and took a course at Fungi Academy at um, mm. And I have a podcast episode about that. Um, the psychologist. Really yep, the psychologist, the consciousness positive radio, and after Guatemala. I went to Costa Rica for a little while. Uh, I gave a talk at Envision about, it was called Permaculture, Sex, and Psychedelics, Oh My. Mm. And it was at the intersections of permaculture principles with conscious sexuality and conscious psychedelic use. Those are kind of two of my bends, are sex and psychedelics, unconsciousness. And then I came home briefly, and then I went on Cosmic Sisters' trip to the Temple of the Way of Light 
which I think maybe we could talk about a little as well. Yeah. Uh, it was it was after that that I moved to the farm. So in April. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah, the the Temple of the Way of Light. Yeah, I spent three months volunteering there. Um, and yeah, I think you had uh, Zoe, is it right, on your show, uh, Zoe Helene? Um, and she leads the, the Cosmic Sister, right? Yes, Zoe Helena. Helena, and yes. I met her actually at Symposia's conference too. I should have mentioned that. She and Chris were there. Um, yeah, she brings a group of women down um, who receive different ways of support from her organization. Um, and she brings them to a different, you know, center, centers with integrity. And she makes sure that everyone's safe, like really, really makes sure. And I was there with a huge group, like 23 of us or something. Yeah, I, m- I must have been there at the same time. Um, I remember Chris giving a Chris Killam giving a talk uh, about different Were you kinds there? of. I was there. Yeah, I was. I was at the talk. I, I and then I had Chris on the show. Um, we sat in. I don't know if you remember Debbie, who was probably mm-hmm. yeah one of the Are lead you facilitators. <laughs> yeah, Debs. How great is she? <laughs> the greatest. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I listened to that episode with Chris. It was really something. And made me cry. Yeah. Oh, it was Chris talking about crying. It was something that made him happy. Yeah. Yeah. When Debbie actually, she came in to ask some questions. It was really cool. It was the first time that I did that with my show where I sort of had another host come in and do something. It was, it was nice. It was a cool experience. Yeah. Yeah. I was at, at Chris's talk sitting in the back, just tasting everything that was a bit getting passed around. Maybe, maybe a little bit more than we were supposed to. <laughs> take her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a cool talk. Yeah, a cool guy. So yeah, you're you're living on on the farm. What's farm? What what's farm life like? How do you like it? I mean, this uh, it sounds very appealing to me. Uh, you know, I keep telling my girlfriend I want to live in the woods and make my own honey and you know, <laughs> like do something in nature, like away from city life, but. Well, not, we're not there yet. So it sounds very appealing to me to be living on a farm, being taking care of animals. And can you explain kind of like what's that? What's that like? How is that? And what do you you know do there? Yeah, sure. Be happy to. Well, this farm is called Happy Age Farm. It is a grass-fed beef farm, and the land, um, all all the land surrounding here used to be farmland, and then slowly the man who owned it, um, Anthony or Tony Hapanovich, was selling off parcels so he could keep farming. He wasn't making enough money to support it all. But um, when he died, there were 90 acres left and he left it to the town. And so they were seeking some people to steward the farm and keep it running as an active farm. It has picturesque red barns. Actually, I can kind of turn you around and show you what I'm looking at outside. Oh, cool. Ah, there it is. The red barns. You guys can't see it, but it's there. <laughs> but you can see it because you know what I mean with the red barns. Yes, exactly. Imagine that in your mind. I think they have the imagination to, to, to picture a red barn, yes. <laughs> yep. Um, so John and Catherine, Catherine McLean and her husband John Motsinger were some of the applicants to steward the farm along with a business partner of theirs that they no longer work with who's no longer here. Um, but they, they won the vote for, you know, you guys take over the farm and their plan was to transform the land from, um, a monocrop of corn, which was feed for the cows. And the cows were housed in barn in these like neck locks that kind of hold them in one place, which is pretty standard. It's a standard way to keep animals safe when you're, um, 
when you have them in captivity and you need them to do this specific thing for you. So it's like humane in a way, because if they were just wandering around in the barn, they would slip and fall and hurt each other. So they were kept in these glocks, but it's really not, it's not a good life at all. Right. So they released the cows to the fields. They took down all the corn and seeded grass and clover and other alfalfa and other nutritious um, bovine food. And we have lots of deer that graze here too. A bovine buffet. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Moo. I'm trying to think of fun with moo, but I can't. So, um, yeah, we do. We have a herd of cows and we do educational events. We have goats and we have some chickens. And so people, they learn about farming and we sell our beef at a local farmer's market it's the animals are completely free of antibiotics and things like that. Um, they drink fresh water from well, and they basically move to a new parcel of grass every day. So they're getting fresh grass. And then in the winter we feed them hay, which was created, you know, was mowed and in the summer, so hay from around here also. Yeah. And uh, there's a, there's a garden also, which was what I came on to take care of was the CSA for the community, community supported or community shared agriculture is what CSA stands for. And I was just reading in um, this amazing book, Farming While Black, this morning. I'm going to see if I can look up. Um, this, it was this African-American man who created the concept of CSA. And I have to put it in the show notes. I should remember. But yeah, just like how many contributions um, people of color made to farming is insane. When we think of farming as being like a white, hip, more hipster thing to do <laughs> these days, some people may think of it that way. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Or sort of the classical, traditional, just kind of like old conservative man with a cowboy hat on the, you know, tending to me horses out here on the in this fine splendor. You know, <laughs> yes, exactly. But farming is for everybody, right? I mean, it's like this is a beautiful thing, I think that, and especially if you're someone who's more like psychedelically inclined to be really in the circle of life, you know, in a hands on way and not creating this sort of fake false separation between you know where your food comes from and and what you're participating in and and the so the whole cycle of that you know the average person goes to the grocery store picks up their stuff you know there's a smiling cow on the package of beef or whatever you know most likely it's you know in some cage somewhere you know getting fed corn or something some steroid infused stuff and you don't think twice about them, you know, and so it's just, I really admire that sort of, that lifestyle, you know, there was a time, I think, when, when all of us were doing these sorts of things, just really having a hands-on natural connection with the land, so that's, that's great. Yeah, yeah, definitely, I mean, I think it is very psychedelic in, in so many ways, one being that, that connection that a person might feel to their ancestors and to their lineage through, in the psychedelic experience, all of our ancestors were farming, foraging, hunting in some way, shape, or form. And it's <clears throat> getting, so we actually absorb nutrients through our skin. So when you're digging in the soil, you're like acquiring the the fertility of the earth, not just through the food that you're eating, but also through in that means. And yeah, being down, being close, all the smells that come through the nose, the way the senses are sharpened to even to just be able to find weeds better. Like it made me, it made me a, a better human in, in so many ways, a more attuned being. 
Yeah, it's so natural for us to behave in that way and to live that sort of lifestyle in this, you know, with reciprocity to the environment and and the thing that we're a part of. So, yeah, one day, one day, I'm going to make it out to greener pastures. Uh, <laughs> as of now, I've 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 sort of I've moved to Denver, so I'm out of New York City. I used to live in New York City for a long time. Uh, I couldn't live there anymore after my first actual ayahuasca experience in Peru. I came back and I was like, "Wow, this is intense." You know, I really felt like I was like in this matrix that was like pulling me in. You know, I know it's not like that for everybody, but you know, some people can can jive in that environment. But for me, like, I was really picking up on like the en- the collective energetic frequency of this what I think is like a sociopathic cesspool of a city (laughs) like that runs on like narcissism and materialism. But uh, again, that's just, that's how I interpret it. You know, so I, I needed to move where I'm living in Denver now. I'm loving it. The mountains here, the sun shines out very good for, you know, staving off the depression as well. Just being out in the sun, which is really nice. So definitely I would add that New York is run on stimulants. So narcissism, industrialization and stimulants yeah that's what i feel there there's good to be found in there there's good going on there's good people doing good things but uh yeah yeah, that's how i perceive it now no definitely i mean we are an hour and 45 minutes north of new york city and i go down from time to time it's good visit and you asked what farm life is like and i wanted to explain that it is a farm that I live on, but I also, I have a car. I commute a half hour to this city where I teach at a community college. Like I, I'm still, we still get plenty of our things from the grocery store. It's like there are different, it, farming is a continuum for sure. And um, I, I think it's good to get our hands in the dirt as much as we can. But like the, I am frightened at how dependent I still am on the system, even while here you know and eating from the garden etc it's uh quite a divorce yeah dependent upon the system right i mean it's it's sort of it's this thing that we really don't want to be dependent upon but it's so omnipresent that it's it forces us to it's a thing i wrestle with constantly you know um but yeah i think that what you know what we could do is just make strides in the right direction right just put one front in front of the other and just try and and have a little impact that you can i mean like for example with what you did by uh creating ben like bringing people together you know i hear that story so many times it's like you know find the others right like that's what this is about is just trying to uh really mesh with other people that see the world in the way that you see it to try and make it better and then if you can get with those people there's this sort of, you know, energy, uh, you create a different energetic frequency, right? That comes out and it's like, cool, this is like, we're building this sort of new vision that we have that it actually may, might be an old vision, but reemerging, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And I'm reminded of Annie Oak at Horizons this year. Uh, she gave a talk on risk reduction at psychedelic events. And she said, psychedelic communities are no different than the cultures that they are a part of. Um, meaning that in our psychedelic groups, we still are going to be bringing in our baggage of colonialism and racism and sexism, et cetera. And so I think the one of the very cool things I've seen Ben doing is um, trying to be more conscientious of those aspects. And, you know, we, there are all these spectrums of psychedelic entrepreneurs and and people who are doing it with true integrity. I ask myself today, like, why, why really do I do the podcast? Is there something that I 
see for myself in it. And when I started it, I think definitely I wanted my voice to be out there for some reason, um, because that can lead to openings for other opportunities. I I like opportunities. Um, Now I I don't think of it as, which makes it hard to continue it sometimes, is I don't think of it as something for myself. And um, it's more so for the voices of people that I'm representing on my show, or um, I'm not representing their voices, the voices of people that my show is a brief platform for when they grace me with their presence. Um, But it's scary. It's scary times with the power of these compounds and how how miss uh analyzed and interpreted it can be by our human you know our still ego driven selves yeah you bring up so many good points there i think that like as soon as i started to discover this sort of psychedelic community that was formed this like psychedelic world i am i initially thought like oh well great well everybody who's into psychedelics must also be into like spirituality and like drop you know dropping their egos or whatever and <laughs> everyone's probably just holding hands and singing kumbaya and waving around and like we're going to create the better world and you, you know, you realize that people are people and they bring their stuff into wherever they are and they have their things and myself included, you know what I mean? I used to be an asshole. Like, it's like I, I, <laughs> I was, I, I still, I still consider myself, you know, a dumb asshole because I have to, otherwise my ego will, will be like, no, you're great. Like, you know, it's just, it's, <laughs> It's it's a careful thing that that I have to always be aware of and and conscious of, um, you know, and and I'm grateful for the experiences that, that I've had, and I think that for me, a part of my responsibility with talking into this microphone is that I can maybe shed light on what it was like to be this sort of like unconscious, egoic, sort of typical macho dickhead person who's then made this journey and still journeying to this better place that I see, this higher vision that's calling me forward. And it's not easy. You know, all that stuff comes along with it. But yeah, and like what you said, I mean, I'm wondering, you know, for your show and what you're doing, and it's like you mentioned, you know, I don't know why or or whatever. and, And it was like, do you feel that maybe sometimes there's that you're like, I know this might sound a little pretentious to say, but like, I'm just going to say it anyway, like a conduit for something bigger, like maybe that, you you know, you don't maybe you don't know particularly why, but you feel driven to certain aspects of things. And it's sort of a force that comes comes from you. I'm, I'm wondering if you feel that at all. I don't think that that's pretentious at all. I think it's the opposite. <laughs> OK, OK, good. <laughs> because if you're a conduit for something greater, then you're just being a channel and it's not coming from you. It's coming through you. Um, so I haven't thought about that before. And, um, and just from this, this movie I just watched today about the massacre of 2 million communists, mostly Chinese in Indonesia in the, in 1965. And then they went back to, to this like film crew had this idea, like, let's go talk to the the killers, the gangsters and say, do you want to make a movie about what you did, like, that would be so cool. Because yeah. these guys are still like, oh, thank God we killed all those people. Right. Um, they they brag about it. The act and of killing, right? That was the name of it? That was yeah. the name of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Warner Herzog was the executive director of it. He makes some really He's great. intense shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so just the, they felt that they had a mission to do that. And it, it had to come through them. Their actions came through them. Mm. So I can't own the good stuff that comes through me and not the bad um, but I believe that we are all, uh, we, we have consciousness of our bodies and our minds 
so that we can, you know, feed them and create connections with others. But that's all this bigger thing, doing something just like my cells in my gut. They are sentient. They like they know, you know, they things and and sometimes they control me. You know, they tell me to eat sugar and (laughs) right. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, It's a, a fascinating thing to think about. I mean. Really, really is. I, you bringing up like the cells and the, the the body. The body just works, right? I mean, it's it's constantly collaborating with each other. There's hardly any like descent happening within the normal like circulatory nervous system, arguing, protesting, whatever it is. It's just like the body just goes, okay, you're the heart. You do the heart thing. I'm the liver. I'll do the liver thing, and we'll we'll send the information back and forth in a in a dialogue, if you will. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, disease or disease disease is are those systems being in, you know, some sort of conflict whether it originates in one system and then that affects the other systems and then finding the root seems kind of like what we're doing as people. Like what uh, is the root yeah. of cruelty and all of that? Um I think I think it might it does stem from over individualism. Mm. Um because, well, I think communism was so scary to these guys because they felt that they would be giving up their safety and their freedom and their uh, individuality, their originality. Uh, I, well, I can't speak for what they were afraid of, but um, there's a lot of toxic, patriarchal kind of stuff going on, imperialist stuff. Um, Indonesia was colonized. Um, and... Okay, this is going to be a tangent diverging from what I intended to say, but I bet it'll just come back, you know, podcast magic. It's all fun, yeah. (laughs) So I've been taking an herbalism course while I'm living here, and uh, there's an amazing school, Twin Star School of Herbal Energetic Studies in New Milford, Connecticut, and I'm learning about how the compounds in these herbs don't actually have any benefit to the plant itself, like DMT and Chacruna or the MAY. In the in the ayahuasca vine, they they don't support the the reproduction or the survival of the plant. They're actually well, maybe they support the reproduction because humans recognize the medicinal value in these plants and then propagated them. And it it could be that like that's like the Michael Pollan idea, right? Um, so thinking about the systems in the body too of being in conflict, and then that an herb can bring that system into balance by changing one thing, especially the adaptogens, which don't just increase or decrease something, which is how I always thought of any, anything must increase or decrease things. Cause that's how Western medicine works. Right. Um, but actually they'll help bring something into balance by changing all these things. And then on top of that, they have so many active constituents, the, these plants, fungi, et cetera, that, um, when you isolate one, we're like, Oh, THC does this. Mm-hmm. Let's, we just want THC. We don't want the other stuff. Well, actually, the other stuff is helping to moderate and mediate what the THC does. For instance, right. talking about cannabis. Yes. Uh, yeah. So the the you know the system of my gut within the system of me that I call myself this like consciousness of me being separate and then but I'm totally reliant on my environment. Yeah. And and who knows what's reliant on human beings existing? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's. It's re- I mean, I, I think it really is just this, you know, this fear-based, you know, conditioning that comes from like the sort of power elite centers that, you know, have a, an interest in, in trying to 
mold and shape people to exist in that sort of realm, be it, to be in conflict, you know, in this way they can go ahead and, as George Carlin famously says, like, they run away with all the money, you know, and the power and stuff. But, but yeah, it, it's, it, it's a very, very interesting thing to, to take a look at, uh, for sure. And I think a lot of, like, what I'm hopeful for now is seeing people sort of taking further steps into like unraveling more of the, the sort of conditioning to get really to the core of what really matters. And that's why I'm such a fan of, of psychedelics and, um, and plant medicines and things like that. So yeah. Um, lost my train of thought really, <laughs> but <laughs> choo, choo, that's what happens. Thought. We can take tangents, we can lose trains of thought, but that's fine. Maybe it's time for a segue. And I think that, uh, a segue always works best when you don't announce that there's a segue coming, but that's what we're going to do. <laughs> we're going to do here because you know, this could be a thing too. This could be another modality of, of podcasting. It doesn't have to be smooth and sleek. Um, <laughs> I want to know. So, what are you currently doing right now? What's currently taking up your 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 interest and and what you're working on and and what you're caring about at this moment? Mm. Well, I related to what you said about um, being a former douche and a current douche. <laughs> and, <laughs> really? Um, <laughs> I don't. See well, that. kind of. <laughs> Let's go there. Well, I remember being. Um, oh gosh. I remember being very obsessed with status, money, my appearance, um, success, material success, wealth. And I remember it so well because it was, you know, I was a fully formed adult and like had been through so many years of school <clears throat> that um, I am having a hard time backing away from helping people that are kind of still in that world and they don't want to be anymore. So, I mean, no offense to anyone who emails me. I don't mean to put you in a box, but I'm getting a lot of people writing to me saying, you know, I, I am dissatisfied with my life. I, you know, plug in the things that they do here um, that just don't make them feel fulfilled. And they hear about psychedelics and that maybe that's the key. So one thing I've been doing is coaching or consultation for folks who um, haven't really tried drugs drugs before and who want to do it safely and don't even know what they're seeking, but they feel that they are seeking something important. So I've been helping people. They, they contact me wanting me to be their psychedelic therapist. And I say, I don't facilitate or condone illegal activity, um, but in the spirit of risk reduction, oh, not but, and, and in the spirit of risk <laughs> reduction, harm reduction, <laughs> I will, um, if you plan to do that, I will help you prepare safely and I will help you integrate afterward. So that's one thing that um, I enjoy. And yet my number one priority this year, and I'm just going to keep saying it until I actually um, am representing it with my actions, is to be in a closer and deeper, more, re uh, more deep relationship with myself. Um, I am like, I'm paying attention to the cycle of the moon and how that, how I feel during the different phases. I'm paying attention to where I'm at in my menstrual cycle. I'm trying to eat conscientiously. And, um, my partner, Matt, who helped start Boston Entheogenic Network or the other one, um, he moved to the farm and we prepare a lot of meals together. And I'm like in such a more embodied way, eating and consuming energy. That's what food is. So shifting my relationship to food. Um, I had a, the most powerful MDMA experience I've ever had recently. Um, 
where going into it, I wanted to, so I, I noticed now that I'm meditating more and I'm, yeah, I'm getting into relationship with my body. I have more control over my actions. And I was starting to use that control to withhold food and to like starve myself. Um, I wasn't starving myself, but I was not, I knew I wasn't consuming enough calories. And for a few days, you know, it was kind of awkward. Like Matt noticed I wasn't really eating. I felt myself being hungry and not eating. <clears throat> so I talked to my therapist and decided to bring it to the MDMA space. And before I took it, Matt and I were kind of preparing, talking to each other. And uh, it came up like, what about not trying to love my body? Because that's always been the thing. Like, just learn to love my body. Like, no, what about just loving myself? Um, this, is, this body is, you know, it's changing all the time. It's going to it's going to decompose. And in, in the trip, I was, I definitely connected with that so much. Um, I don't have any words for it because I'm still processing it, but that's my, that's what I'm working on primarily is my relationship with myself. And then, yeah, I do want to support the, these growing stages that the mainstream psychedelic community is in. Um, someone said it very well. Ah, my friend Nav, who, <laughs> you know, you ever see those people that just started drinking ayahuasca like this year, but it was just like, boom. And they like, they get it and they're crazy about it. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Nav. So he was saying how mm. he feels some of us are here to midwife the birth of a new era. Mm. And it's, you know, birth is a messy, you know, scary, dangerous process. So right. I yes, yes. myself facilitating that. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It's, and this goes back to what you were talking about before with your LSE trip, like the, seeing the plants and the circle of life and the, the, the blood and the universe and all this stuff. And it's like, I think a lot of times I see, I see some, you know, psychedelic minded people that are like really attaching to sort of the higher realms and the beauty of things and sort of leaving maybe the body behind. It's just this thing that holds my meat computer in my skull and, you know, just walks me around like Krang from Ninja Turtles. And it's like, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, and, and leaving sort of like the nasty bits and like the, but like you said, with birth, it's, it's creative destruction happening all in one and it's mm. it's it's building and rebuilding continuously and really getting in touch with that is a super important thing and and doing that on an individual level for yourself no doubt will have uh, an effect on the larger collective that you interact with you know and i guess that's the best that we can do right is like do that and then you know pursue our our passions and you have your podcast as well and and you're you're also helping people who and you know this this model of harm reduction is just a fantastic model because it's like it basically accepts people for who they are and what they're going to do and it doesn't try and tell people what they can and could can, cannot do and what they should do and what we want them to do but says listen you're free to make your own decisions we're here to help if you if you want to reach out for that help and that's a beautiful model yeah yes much agreed i take that perspective when i teach my classes i've been teaching as an adjunct teaching psychology for uh, about six years now, <clears throat> maybe more. And I'm teaching sociology for the first time this semester, which oh, I'm nice. excited to do. Yeah, because I believe that my psychedelic journeys have made me more sociologically minded. Um, but yeah. I, yeah, just like had studied psych. Um, and I, I tell my students so much more than what the book says. And I, and I actually don't tell them much of what the book says. I, I do like so you're a good make teacher. sure that they're, yeah. 
<laughs> wow, I try to be. Yeah. I, and I, I try to make sure that those who have no interest in my interests are still getting like the quality um, experience from it and they can they can be successful in their future psych courses. But yeah, I taught like we were learning about chapter four. Chapter four is always consciousness. And so we're learning about drugs and the, the four main classes of drugs, stimulants, depressants, opiates and psychedelics. And that's the way it's categorized. And you know, tobacco is a stimulant. So here, oh, here are my students. They already know about tobacco from, let's see, probably commercials, seeing people use it, using it themselves. Yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> um, yeah, and like uh, warning um, signs, and yeah, lung cancer, et cetera. And this is their relationship with tobacco. Is usually those things. And then, and then the textbook tells them about you know the nicotine receptors in the brain and and cancer carcinogens and so i <laughs> i like got up on a really big soapbox for a second and i'm like do you have any idea how sacred this plant is and like you know if everyone wasn't looking at me like they definitely started to at that point and i talked about what a heroic and selfless plant this is that is here to save your ass mm. like if you will open up and let it like this plant is here to help you and and this plant will help you receive help from other plants. And I talked about, um, you know, how there's colonialism in all of our textbooks. And this is just another example that this is a sacred plant for a lot of people. Yeah, it was cool. And um, I do, there are a number of my students who are from Central America. And I think that they were aware of what I was speaking to from like maybe grandparents or something. That was really, that was cool. I want to do that more, you know, within the realms of what's safe, because if you speak out too much, then you're, I, I can't have access to these um, young mainstream minds anymore. And I feel that there's still something important to do there. Yeah, definitely. No, well played. Well played. I think that's, you know, I, I, I have a tendency to just get on this show and just be sort of, uh, you know, just going like, just being like lecturing and talking about like, this is a sacred plant. I'll get worked up about it, you know, but I also, I can't be fired. I'm not, I'm not a professor. So it's like, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I have the luxury of not being a professor, but uh, also not the credibility. So, um, but, but I still, I enjoy, I enjoy, you know, speaking about these things because I, I'm certain of them based upon my direct experience. You know, I've experienced tobacco in very sacred ways and I've experienced the healing, uh, and, and just the amazing, yeah. I mean, it is a master plant. It is, um, revered, uh, by the indigenous people, um, that I, that I was a part of in Peru and, uh, and used in a very, very, uh, sacred way in a in a ceremonial healing way it's it's a, and it's a teacher it's a teacher as well and yeah. yeah and we leave all this stuff out i wonder why i wonder why we you know we want the mainstream establishment wants to leave all this kind of stuff out that's that's where i tend to focus my interest is looking at these structures and these systems and how they what they disseminate and and how people interact with them and also what we accept and what we allow you know um and it can be kind of it can be kind of tough and you can feel like a victim sometimes if you're you know waking up to the the oppression that is being thrust upon you, you know, it can be very difficult. Um, but yeah, it's great to have people out there like you who are like, you know, inserting this education properly. So, um, good stuff. Good stuff. I have a question. Yes, please. Uh, Leah in the front row. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you say you can feel like a victim when you wake up to seeing this oppression, 
Do you feel that way? Have you felt that way? <sighs> yes. Yeah, I I have and it's a it's I definitely I feel that I feel that there has to be a level of victimhood inherent in sort of the societal structures in which we are forced to participate in. You know, and so whenever I see that there's a, a level of force and coercion and you know intricate manipulation and propaganda I do consider that a form of like aggression on sovereign individuals who don't necessarily have a chance to explore who they are, and why they are, and these sorts of things. So I think there is a, a sort of a level of victimhood that's being thrust down upon us by the what we call the leaders of you know the people. Who, if you look at the people who make the most money and have the most things and the most land and these sorts of things, this elite group of people. Um, that, that is, that is in, you know, I think inherent in the systems that, that we, that we have, that we, you know, participate in, that we don't necessarily have like a choice to. So, um, yeah, but I, I think that also that once you realize that, that you can overcome that to a certain degree, I think, you know, you can do something to try and make an effort to right the wrong, you know, in a way I feel like it's, I'm reading a lot of books about mythology right now and, and they talk about wise old elders of the tribe who usher in the new generation and particularly men who um, don't, you know, in, in this age that, I'm that we're living in right now, we don't necessarily see a sort of culturally top-down approach to help men initiate into the culture properly from being young boys into being like actual stewards of the society and embodiments of the values that the society cherishes for the greater good of people. So what we see is we just see boys just being bo like just not having that that education or that initiation and then they just, you know, fuck things up forever. <laughs> and you know, that seems to be a major part of the problem, I I think, yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I, <clears throat> they do not deserve that. That is not, that would not be their choice. I think if most people were offered options for what they'd be exposed to and then what that would lead to them believing and doing, um, how many people would choose to be, uh, swathed in this toxic masculinity culture, this rape culture. And I'll add that, you know, you said like boys don't have rites of passage, but you know, no one really does right, in yeah. industrialized society. Right. Um, and, and it can be done and, and the rites of passage that exist, right. Mostly related to drinking, sex, um, unconscious sex. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel that this is the crux of people's of, mm, this is something, this seems to be a theme, um, in social justice type conversations is privilege and like, does being called out or called in or just shown that you have privilege, reminded that you have privilege, have to put someone on the defensive. Um, it shouldn't. It shouldn't because, you know, if it was a choice, then everyone would have privilege and it wouldn't be a thing. It's not a choice. It's something that you're born into and or or that you can you can acquire it during your life, like class privilege. So that sensitivity to being reminded of your privilege, I think, stops that the potential for compassion to come in. And, and, uh, and it, it caps, it can start with compassion for the self that like I've perpetrated these violent acts and I don't see myself as a bad person. 
accident. Um, but yet I have perpetuated all kinds of oppression. Um, and it's not that like, I can't be a bad person. Therefore I can't have done anything bad. Like there's these sort of like logical fallacies that some of our minds operate by believe that this defensiveness. So like my partner and I, when we moved in together, we're having a lot of conflict. Mm. And the thing I was having so much trouble with was I felt like he was defensive to everything that I was saying. And I'm like, can you just not be defensive and just hear what I'm saying? Right. But you know, in the, the way that I was saying it and the things I was picking up on, cause I have a lot of internalized, I still have that really internalized, like success and status. And I, as much as I'd like to think I've shed that I haven't. Right. And I'm, I'm working on it. Um, so there were all these things coming through that were actually attacking my partner that he was defending himself from for, for his own good. Yeah. And in, in the, in the world of, you know, us folks privileged enough to argue on the internet with each other on our <laughs> devices. Right. Right. <laughs> if, if it could be that, you know, somebody saying, this person shouldn't be at an event because it won't make women feel safe. And like, instead of the first action being like, how is that fair to that guy? It's, it's just like, well, let, you know, hang on. Like, cause I'm not saying that we should do something that's unfair to anybody, but I am talking about fairness too. We're on the same page here. We care about, you know, everyone feeling safe and having a chance. So this is what I'm bringing up. And I, I think that most, situations and i've seen this in in reading about restorative justice and participating in a process that it takes a lot of energy from the community to come together and address harms and they they don't get addressed by rules or standards or laws clearly um but when when everyone surrounds the people who've been harmed people the person or people who've caused harm and holds that space it's like an exorcism yes of yeah. so much it's a healing process but it's very it's labor intense it's like the the, the body like the blood cells like moving to the wound to try and heal it and it's going to be take some time to recover but there, there'll be scarring it'll be jagged but ultimately it'll be stronger actually, you know, when it's repaired, just like when muscles break down and grow, they, they need to break down first and then heal and they become stronger. Yeah. And interlock. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful metaphor. Yes. Yeah. And a, a harm caused to someone is a wound for the entire being. Um, it's yeah. something that, you know, the blood comes from another place, like the blood's doing something in one place and then more blood has to come to treat the wound. But it's ultimately because nothing's going to be able to keep functioning if that wound stays open. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, really, and what we're talking about here is, you know, like you you have a community of like-minded individuals that are trying to create a a space and and share things to, you know, make things better, right? In the most simplistic way of saying it. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, the the voluntary uh, associations that, that form in that group and the dialogue that happens that's open and free and people able to communicate and express ideas and share feelings and experiences is ultimately what does build this, right? And, and it forms sort of the value system of what we, what we deem to be appropriate, what we deem what we like and what we don't like and, and what we would want and not want. And I think that that, is, that needs to be respected, right? I mean, if that's not respected, then, then, that's, then that's a violation, I think, of, of 
you know, the people's freedom in order to choose to participate in a, a particular version of, of what they would like to participate in, right? I mean, whether it's an event or a community gathering or a festival or something like that. Um, yeah, and then this gets, goes back to the notion of, of really sort of our tribal ancestors. And, you know, so you see this in other parts of the world as well, where it's the more community-based living that we see, the more the community comes together to support each other, whether someone's going through a crisis or, you know, I remember reading about this in, a, I think it was Joseph Campbell that was talking about schizophrenia in tribal societies and how the society would all come together to help usher this person through this experience, like as a whole, as a unit, because they knew that it would eventually, it would benefit the whole. If one aspect is is wrong, that means the whole is wrong, you know. So, mm. yeah, mm. it's 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 extremely. Uh, it's I love talking about this kind of stuff. You know, I really think it's it's important to talk about. And you mentioned before, like, yeah, we get in these things, and it's like we're on our computers, and we're like, no, that's not the way it is. This is the way it is, and we have these ideas and these beliefs and our narratives have been shaped by our experiences and by this sort of like reality bubble that we've created for ourselves. And when someone puts something in that bubble, it frightens us and we, we have to jump on our thing because it's our thing, you know? And mm -hmm. um, yeah. And it's, in, it's interesting that you, you brought this up and I'd love to hear you like elaborate more, more on this, but you, you know, you brought something up. I think that's probably relevant and recent in the psychedelic community that uh, that I saw being addressed and being talked about. I, I don't know if you want to maybe talk more to that. or I, I would love to know because I'm not as plugged in as, as you are uh, in this sort of field, if you will, or I just maybe don't pay attention enough. So I'd love to, to learn more about some of the current issues that are, uh, that are happening or concerns or topics, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you're you're saying something funny to me a few minutes ago. You're, you said, um, you know, I'm talking about the way that we and you you described the sort of like overarching um, cycle going on. And I was thinking, I'm talking about the Daniel Pinchbeck third wave event. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, but but I not just that because it's not a discrete event. Um, but yeah, I I think something. Uh, you know, psychedelics this week. Here's something interesting that happened. There was an event planned by the third wave and uh, it was to happen in New York City. And it was a talk with Daniel Pinchbeck about um, safe psychedelic use or like, using psychedelics for, you know, a safer, better world. And um, the third wave, you know, they plan some really neat events and cool ideas. And I've listened to Paul's podcast before and um, I appreciate his interviewing skills and um i don't want to tear him down but i do want to call him in <clears throat> sure yeah the the community was calling him in and out for a while leading up to the event because daniel pinchbeck did a post in 2017 saying how he had been abusive to women and and had used substances for as tools of seduction and had yeah had caused harm and in the in the post um he attributed some of his, his abusive actions to the ways he was treated by his mother and his aunt so there's a lot going on here because um you know apologies are apologies but also if you're apologizing for hurting women and then blaming it on women that hurt you and just like stopping it at that that's that's limiting to the to the whole thing um i don't take 
credence away from the harms that Daniel experienced. And like what was so hard about watching this movie, the act of killing was that I was seeing these men who, who strangled thousands of people with wire laughing about it. And I felt so moved for the things that had happened to them that they could do that. Mm. Um, so in the case of the event, a lot of people said, um, to the third wave, I don't feel safe attending or, you know, it's just not good to give this guy a platform talking about psychedelics when he's clearly abused that power, the power of his fame and his, his Facebook post, you can, you could just search Daniel Pinchbeck me too post and you'll okay. find a, yeah. a copy. Um, he said that when he became more, when he was more in the limelight, he used that for you know his own pleasure and gratification. Um, which is like, you know, I, I hate when someone like comes out so vulnerably or so it appears and, and they get attacked back because I don't want others to be, um, like to feel nervous about speaking their truth of ways they've harmed people. Um, I've harmed people. Um, I like, I have not used my sexuality like for the good of other people throughout my life. There have definitely been instances where I know that now here I'm going to attribute it to rape culture, but like I have internalized rape culture and perpetuated harm. But anyway, the event ended up getting canceled after Brian Pace, um, who is very involved in the psychedelic community, made a public post saying, I told Paul Austin to cancel this event and he hasn't. Therefore, I'm forced to come forward and say, you know, this is not okay. Mm. Uh, and then the the comment thread, which was like thick, like 200 some comments. Yeah. and David Nichols archived all of them so you can read it. it was yeah, it was a community feud over what's right, what's the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I looked at that and you know, I, I didn't feel good about when I was reading what Paul was saying. I, I I didn't it didn't sit well with me. I I mean, you know, it's 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 a difficult thing, but I think that like we said before, if the if the majority of the community is coming forward and putting forth an issue here, and saying that we don't feel safe around this guy, particularly given the subject matter that he's been selected to talk about, I'm sure that there's probably other people that are more qualified to speak about those sorts of things that would make people feel comfortable, happy, safe, and have a fun experience doing that. So I I support like you know the the vocalization of that you know, and at the end of the day, I guess it's up to Paul and Third Wave to, to make the decision that they want to make, but. Yeah, I just uh, felt very off-put by the responses. Um, I think I saw one that he said, like, oh, go heal yourself or something. And it's like, you know, I think that we 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 really, if we're going to be operating this space and talking about the things that we're talking about and, and putting on the personas that we put on in order to lead the organizations that we lead, that we need to really take a minute, and it can be hard, it can be difficult, but to take a minute to have some compassion for, you know, the other side of things. You know, and and that can be tough sometimes. And like you said before, like you think, you know, people come into this community with their own stuff and that stuff sometimes sticks in and it comes out and it's like, OK, well, the good thing about it is that it, it is out. It's transparent a little bit. Right. It's out there so we can deal with it like we can address these 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 issues and these important things. Um yeah, and I, I, I just think that uh, I think that what they canceled the event, right? They went, did they wind up canceling the event, or they canceled him there? Is that right? Yeah, they canceled the event. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, and as a a public voice in any movement, there is responsibility to be in 
informed about what you're talking about. So, you know, Gabor, <laughs> Gabor Mate told someone to go heal themselves that was saying ayahuasca is a re-traumatization of indigenous people. Okay. That's wow. what this woman, Lisana Red Bear was saying. Yeah. Which is, it, it's like, you know, the, 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 the colonizers came and took everything from the indigenous people and now they're sick and they're coming for their medicine. I mean, that's, that's like, I totally see what she was saying. It's a valid point. Mm -hmm, That point is valid. Exactly. And, um, maybe there's more that Paul could have looked into with the go heal yourself comment and all the other comments that he made, like pinchbeck has a lot of important information to share. Like, I don't think anyone was messaging Paul and saying, Daniel Pinchbeck doesn't have anything relevant to share. Like the guy's written some incredible stuff. I, right. I believe that yeah. he's, he's thinking on the right track, but well, you know, so, some of his thinking is definitely on the right track. It's just the refusal to acknowledge the reality of the world that we live in, of how many people face um, violence related to sex and gender. Uh, and, and that like, there are so many people qualified to talk about things and uh, not just the people, the mostly white people that we're seeing talk about stuff in the psychedelic movement. Um, I, I'm I sorry. That- I apologize for being a white man. <laughs> <But> that- <laughs> Remember what we said about privilege. It's, it's not, it's not like that. It's, it's really, what do you do? What, what are we doing with these, like this extra access that we have to the resources that we use to do these things? It's, and, it's, it, and they're, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say real quick, I, I just, it's a very interesting thing to say, like, to think in terms of like, uh, like a category or an identity. Cause like, I like my deepest core. I don't, I'm not like, what is a white man? Like, I don't understand what that is. Like at my, when I'm in harmony with like my soul level of consciousness and I feel, you know, like it, it, I don't feel that way. I don't feel that I, re- you know, but I know that this is what I'm encased in and this is what I've, my experience had, like the experiences I've had have been reflective of that, you know, of me present being in this costume or whatever, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, but at like a deep level, it's like, you know, and we're, we all have the same life force inside of us, you know, and it's like, if you can really kind of bring that to the surface with consciousness um, and awareness that then you can understand, I think, a little bit more. And it, it definitely it definitely helps me to understand things from that le- from that level, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm privilege, white privilege, for instance, is like something that you would no one would be aware of it that had it because it's you think that it's the norm that the way that you move through the world is what everyone else experiences because it's just basic for you um and you know if you were encased in the body of a queer black trans um coal miner like you would wow have a different (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, a different whole different idea um and you know the there have been other um, protests against uh, men in the psychedelic community who've caused harm and and a wealth of responses to those. And what I would just say to your readers, your listeners who are still who are still here is that there is that the nonviolent civil disobedience that Martin Luther King Jr. did, for example, was regarded as terrorism. And he was threatened with 
all kinds of, you know, and blackmailed to, to kill himself and to do this and that. And he, you know, the way that we see him now may be the way that we, see these social justice warriors who are, who are protesting, you know, what, what doesn't seem harmful to, to folks that don't know that maybe just don't know the whole story. So what, what I would say is, um, if you're not aware of, you know, African-American literature and history and the civil rights movement, um, women, and th there's a great book called Feminism is for Everyone by Bell Hooks, and she's an amazing black feminist writer. Uh, if, you, if you think you understand those things, then test your understanding by reading and li listening from someone who's different than who all of your teachers, who all of, you know, the, the people who have informed your perspective have been. That's the what has helped me the most to humble myself in that I really don't know the best way forward, but I get more and more confidence as I go knowing what to support and what to not support. And so I've decided that um, we need to support more conversations about consent in the psychedelic community because it's not really widely talked about or learned about. And now it's really hot. So I'm going to capitalize on that. Just kidding, <laughs> but I am gonna. Are have you gonna uh, have like um, one hour uh, Skype uh, consent courses for like three hundred dollars a pop? Yes, I, uh, and actually, you have to register for the whole battery of um, talks. So uh -huh. <laughs> get your CVC codes out. Um, but no, yeah. in New York City in the end of April, we're gonna have an event called Consent Is Psychedelic. And it'll be um, femme-led and informed by a diversity of community members on consent for psychedelic people. And it's going to include some panel discussion, a consent training where we can practice actual like person-to-person -person conversations about touch contracts and then breakout groups to focus on specific topics within that realm. And we're hoping for... Um, we're hoping to do a sliding scale so that everyone can come. And for those that can give more, um, we're going to be donating all of the extra money to organizations supporting people who've experienced sexual violence. So stay tuned for that. No, that's, that's great. No, that's important work. That's good stuff. Um, yeah, I think that, um, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Like when we're talking about these sorts of things, I notice, uh, there's a lot of polarization, obviously, right? You know, in in this country right now, and there's certain kinds of things that come up, and you know, it's it's interesting to me that when when people bring up these these issues, that there are people out there resistant to them or ready to attack them. And you made a good point of just you know being in this other experience, right? And I think that that really is something that the psychedelic experience can provide you with this level of connectedness, this level of understanding that, you know, that really, we don't know what it's like to be in somebody else's shoes. We don't. I mean, we can imagine, we can, you know, like you said, like you read things that kind of just confirm your already, you know, your beliefs and they just reinforce them. And oftentimes a lot of you know, maybe more, I don't know, like a lot of people definitely look to logic, you know, sort of like reasoning of things and get, it, it gets, it gets lost. The sort of humanity of it gets lost. I always mm -hmm. love this quote about, um, and I, I always get it wrong, but I, cause I forget who it was, but it was like to see, to travel and see the world is a great thing, but to, to inhabit the eyes of all the people in the world is another. And it's like, that is 
That's very powerful because if you can really just get outside of your own experience and embody somebody else's experience, you can learn something. You know, you can learn. And who, like, why are people opposed to learning? <laughs> you know? Right. It's, it's, That's why we take psychedelics. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. I mean, we could go, I could talk a little bit more as to why I think maybe people are opposed to learning or it challenges them, their, who they think they are with their identity and their defense mechanisms come up and they feel like they need to protect themselves or something like that. And I really do just think that like, you know, there's, I remember there was this great thing, um, uh, this this black guy in the south he like befriended um Ku Klux Klan members and he like went out with them and talked with them and basically like convinced them to disrobe and leave their the the organization and it was all because he befriended them and he wanted to know he asked them questions and he wanted to learn and as they got to know him they realized oh my god this is just a person just like me what the hell am I doing? You know, this sort of like weird abstract separation that we have with the internet allows us to stay in our bubbles, allows us to just reconfirm our beliefs, interact with the people we want to interact with. And then we can shout down people, you know, because we're behind a computer screen and we don't feel the effects of it and a personal energetic level. But this is, yeah, this is an important thing that we're dealing with here. So, you know, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely worth like just, exploring that domain because it's also so new to us new this level of connectivity that we have now with everybody you know and it, it definitely requires a level of respect that i just feel is pretty difficult for a lot of people you know to respect other respect. people's ways of of living yeah respect humility <clears throat> self-compassion right yeah yeah because the the news feed and our search engines are showing us more of what we've searched before too, and we have to remember that, that right. we don't actually have access to everything because we're really getting saturated with what we're going to spend more time looking at. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things I've been thinking about a lot lately is how do you penetrate the bubbles, you know? Like looking at like the country right now and the division that we see, you know, being spread by the the media and stuff. It's really this sort of like manufactured thing that people sort of not not necessarily a manufactured thing, but the manufacturing of riling people up to. That's that's what I I look at sometimes that I feel is like off putting. Is like okay, like these people are obviously upset because they're experiencing reality in a certain way and they're trying to communicate something that they feel is important and a level of truth. Otherwise, they wouldn't be out here saying these things and doing these things so what is that like how do we you know how do we get you could i think the average person could just listen to like what the mainstream media is feeding them or what the news is feeding them and then you just buy into that but when you actually have that human connection with the other person that's when things start to change so anyway i'm just wondering like how how to make that happen in this age of like inform you know social media and like maybe misinformation or whatever definitely well, permaculture offers a lot of wisdom to how to address these um, uh, compounded and intractable concerns and issues. And so designing spaces, so if we're designing a, you know, an urban farm, say, designing spaces that are conducive to like humans like comfortably sitting down, lounging and kind of being together is it's going to spur um, a lot of new ideas and 
possibilities through the facilitating that connection, just like how psychedelics create new connections in our brain, like um, a, a space, a common space that everyone can access uh, on your local square, you know, a parklet like they have in San Francisco with just like free benches to sit on. This cultivates more of that, I think, human community that that we need. Um, and I, a friend of mine moved to Oakland. She's very conscious of gentrification and those things. So I was a little surprised that she moved to Oakland and like basically her, all of her time moving through that space is being aware of herself as a gentrifier and getting to know her neighbors very well so that she can know how she can be in support of them. And, you know, as it turns out, like her community is like extremely supportive of her and her roommates and what they're doing. And they, they want them there and everyone's like together and it does transcend those boundaries. So just because you're, well, there are, I think that there need to be safe spaces where like, you know, white people or men aren't saying like, I deserve to be here too. Like, you know, I, uh, I don't know. I don't, I, I think it's fucked up to say that like, that you're having a circle where only people who were born assigned female are allowed. I take issue with that. Um, but anyway, what I'm saying is, uh, there's like there's room for everyone and especially the people who haven't had a seat at the table like like in, invite and listen to those people and allow you know their stories to inform the the mainstream narrative as much as possible and that starts with talking to your neighbors and talking to people that you don't know and as i said earlier reading books by folks who've experienced kinds of oppression different than your own kind and i think that we'll find like you're saying that we're all a lot more similar than we think Totally. I couldn't agree more. And it's like, this is the sort of responsible wisdom that we need in order to usher the, the society into a more harmonious uh, realm of existence. You know, it, it's, it's irresponsible and immoral and, and, you know, just straight up dumb <laughs> to neglect certain people in the society as not, you know, Okay, so for example, like the United States, right? Like the population is pretty much like majority white. Like I think it's like 60% of the population, right? So then you have, you know, the other percentages that in it, it all goes down. And so every, you know, you have this mixed group of, of people that represent different different genders, different races, different ethnicities, different ideas, different opinions, different philosophies, ideologies, all this kind of stuff. So it's, a, you know, a lot there. And we look at the people who are just sort of automatically, you know, in the group that is the majority. I think it's a responsible thing to look to the other groups that don't have representation, that don't have seats at the table and say, come on up here because, you know, we, we acknowledge you, we see you and, you know, we want to, to do this, this thing that's going to help the, the greater benefit of all of us. So I think it's a very responsible and wise thing to do. And I think doing the opposite of that just perpetuates, uh, you know, tyrannical dominator oppression, you know? Definitely. There was a movement for, um, there's like a, some new disability legislation happening in Australia and the community came up with this phrase, nothing about us without us. So it's like, if it concerns us, like we must be involved. So nothing about us without our input being put in or even preferably us leading it. Um, and let us also remember that using or resorting 
to a logical or reductionistic perspective on what reality is, is potentially what got us into trouble in the first place, what made us see nature as something that could be commodified and used to make us safer and and more wealthy. And so that, um, that there is like, I just think that it's a time to fight for the rights of indigenous people, for their sovereignty, and um, to not appropriate, but to respect and learn from their wisdom. Yeah. No, definitely. And I just want to, I just want to say, I just grabbed my Farming Well Black book by Leah Pennyman, and the person who invented the CSA was Doctor Book Booker T. Watley. I didn't know his name earlier when I mentioned that. I wanted to oh, make sure I speak it. So just like another thing too to what you were saying is that. <clears throat> a lot of the things that the dominant culture enjoys and benefits from were actually would have been impossible without the contributions or the actual creations of indigenous people, people of color, et cetera, including our well-loved and our sacred ayahuasca. Yeah. And this is, this is a, a hard truth, I think, for a lot of people to accept because we like to imagine we like to feel good about the narratives that we've been told. And oftentimes when you're told something that goes against that, it can be a very uh, you know, difficult experience. And I, my, I myself used to be very like militant in my approach to things about like, you know, you're a fucking slave, like we're all slaves, like we're in the matrix, you know, just like this kind of like crazy thing that like you got to break out, you got to wake up. And it's like, okay, that could be very startling for people. That could be not the right approach to be so sort of forceful in your assessment of what you believe is going on. And, um, you know, it it just, people, I think, like to really just feel good about who they are and in the environment that they live in. And if the stories that they have been told have been lies, it's like, what does that say about them and their beliefs and who are they? And it could be a very difficult process, but it's uh, extremely important one to investigate and participate in for the, the growth of a better you and a, and a better world that you live in. Yes, I promise you can get through it. Yeah. And if you need help, contact Leah Friedman, the psychologist. <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah. Once I help myself. (laughs) Well, that's it, right? It's like we're all helping ourselves and helping each other. And by helping each other, we're helping ourselves and other people. And, you know, it's this great feedback loop that goes on. But I I love this conversation. I could speak to you for another three hours, I feel like. I'm so glad that we did this today. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll wrap up now. But before we do, just tell people, I guess, anything that you're currently working on. I know you mentioned something before, if you want to maybe give, I don't know, some dates or some things like that and uh, where they could follow you, find you. I know you, you do some writing. I saw some articles on Symposia, other places. So um, yeah, let the, let the people know. Let your voice shine through the airwaves here. All righty. Here it is. Um, I have a podcast called The Psychedologist. That's like psychedelic psychologist. And that is on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, all places podcasts are found. So you could check that out. And I also have a Facebook page. My email address is lfriedman.psy at gmail.com. L-F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N dot P-S-Y. And uh, yeah, I think that's all I'll share for for connecting. And cool. Thank awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mike. We didn't tell them how we met, but maybe for another time or maybe in the intro. Maybe we could do, do you have a little bit of time right now? Maybe we could just do a bonus segment. Bonus. Here it is. Yeah, sure. That's fine. Do you want to talk about it? Well, <clears throat> I was, um, yes, yes. So I was pro- 
processing some aggression in the garden one day, weeding, <laughs> and <laughs> I had recently found Mike Adelic's podcast because I was at the Temple of the Way of Light, and people said, oh, you have a podcast? This guy that lives here, he has a podcast. You guys should do a podcast together, man. And I was like, yeah. And um, so I thought I had written to Mike already, ready and then not heard anything back but I don't I don't actually think that that message ever sent or maybe I sent it to the wrong place I don't know so I'm in the garden and I listen to a couple episodes and then I'm like listening to his intro and I'm like these are all fucking dudes like these are all white guys talking at the beginning of this show like what the fuck man and and I'm like and he didn't even respond to me like he didn't even recognize like how special I am god and so I was like all worked <laughs> up <clears throat> So I like knelt down. I remember where I was. I was planting rainbow chard and I knelt in front of the rainbow chard and I uh, invited Mike to have a conversation. And I did so with a little bit of a stingy tone. Um, I believe I said that I wouldn't crucify you on the air. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> uh, and what I meant was like that I, you know, I felt like the show could have more diversity on it and that, that we have a duty to do these kinds of things for, you know, see the rest of this episode as why I think that. And, uh, and yeah, so I sent that along, didn't think much of it. And then Mike, I'll let you take over from your end on the next part. Yeah. So I was, I had just got back from uh, a month in Peru where I had uh, a very challenging experience, but a very great experience. And I was really, you know, I was processing this and just kind of looking at my life and all these things. And I had been really inhabiting this, this space of like looking into uh, issues involving identity politics and race and gender and these sorts of things. And, you know, I, I had felt that I saw a lot of anger out there and like, I started maybe to like take some of it on and I was I was in the in I remember where I was I was in my aunt and uncle's house in their kitchen and I had my laptop and um you know I see this message come through and I was like my immediate reaction was like defense mechanism defense mode like oh my god like I'm being attacked or something like that and it was like it wasn't like that at all, really, but I had interpreted it to be this way because I was trying to like justify these sorts of feelings that I was feeling at the time and why. And <clears throat> I think I wrote something back like, like, how dare you tell me like who to have on the show or something like that? Like, you don't have to listen if you don't want to or whatever. And it was really harsh. I mean, it was very harsh. It was very me, the part of me that I don't want to be this old part of me that I've been trying to get rid of for a while. And part of this ayahuasca experience was integrating this shadow. And I did it. I think I did an episode too, talking about, you know, reaching into the darkness and pulling that up to the light and, and trying to properly heal that and integrate that into the f acceptance of the full being that you are. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, yeah. And this, so this was a very harsh reply. And then one day I was, I, I had it had been maybe like three weeks since I had been back, so I, I stayed away from any sort of cannabis or anything like that, just to, out of respect for the plants. And um, I decided to smoke one day and just bless that plant for having the introspection that it has to me, for me, and when used in this proper way. And I was outside; I think it was the summer. I was in the pool, and I was just it, it just hit me like what an asshole you are. Like, what a douchebag. What is wrong with you? And I think then that's when I messaged you and I just, you know, I sort of apologized and I, and I was just, 
but it was it was you know it was a very very interesting like interaction really taught me a lot and really caused me to like change my way of of thinking and and I and I you know I, I thank you for that because it's it's very you know what we were talking about before is like you can be in these bubbles and you can be in these spaces and you can you know if you're feeling this energy moving through you and you know at the time I was also kind of isolated and alone and like you know integrating this experience and it was just when you're isolated and alone and and I've struggled with depression my whole life and it's like that it starts to creep in and then it just builds and it builds and you close yourself in and you close yourself in more and more and then what happens what I do is I lash out and that's the 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 dark side that I don't like and that's like Oh my God, like, don't, don't let that out, but it's coming out because it has no healthy way of expressing itself, you know? And, um, so yeah, so that's, that, that's pretty much what happened. Um, am I leaving anything out here or? No, I, I know. I don't think so. I mean, we had a great exchange after that all along. It was a great exchange. It's great to meet someone's shadow first. (laughs) (laughs) Let me me put my best shadow forward. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, love and light casts a long shadow. And I think we have to be aware that it's, you know, it's behind us or it's in front of us or whatever. It's always there and it's something to work with. And I'm, I am so grateful for how our exchange turned out. And I've had exchanges where I was in the position that you were in and they turned around to be, you know, because I got off my high horse and realized that I could really benefit from um, seeing it differently. So thank you for doing that. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, of course, of course. And I just, the last thing I'll say about that is just that like, you know, I think that a lot of people who are in this, in this field, in this space think, well, I'm not going to say a lot of people, but I, I had, what I have seen or what I have once believed myself was that I was going to reach this place where everything was going to be better. And I was going to do all the right things and be this kind of perfect version of myself all the time. And I realized that in the effort to do that, that I hid this shadow part. And and when you hide it, it's just like, you know, it's like having a closet in your house that you just keep throwing junk into and you never deal with it. And you just put it there and you say, well, the rest of the house is beautiful, but there's this closet that, my God, if you open it up, it's going to, all this stuff's going to fall on top of you and these shoe boxes and these things. And what are you going to do then? You know? And so I've now realized that, that, that's just always going to be there's you, that stuff that you throw in the closet it's always going to be there you know maybe it's better to organize it and put it out and place it in a way that it looks uh, acceptable to deal with and to handle and so that's what i've found yeah well and that that stuff is you like you can't divorce yourself from the room and house or the closet that you don't like that has the stuff that's not as beautiful to look at and some of it might not be able to be dressed up to look nice but you can still love it and see the value in it and yes. accept it i think that's the hugest part is accepting our you know accepting ourselves as the whole that that it is that's what love itself is oh i've got it <laughs> <laughs> We figured it out, folks. That's it. We have the solutions to all your problems. You listen, if you listen to this whole episode, you will know the answers to life. There it is. Leah Friedman, thank you so much. Go check out her podcast and follow her stuff, follow her work. And um, thank you again, Leah, for being on the show. Thank you, Mike Adelic. Peace out.
Hey, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Hope you guys like these podcasts and enjoy them. And if you do, please spread the podcast, share it, tell a neighbor, tell a coworker, tell a friend, tell a cat, tell a mouse, tell a dog, tell an ant, tell a firefly, tell whoever you tell, share it, spread it, like it all that good stuff. If you if you really love the show, you want to go a step further, you really want to help us out, leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts um, and go to patreon.com, patreon slash Mike Brank and um, patreon.com slash Mike Brank and you can donate as little as a dollar a month, two dollars a month, whatever you want. Help support the show that way as well. But remember, I love you guys no matter what you do. I just love that you tune in and you enjoy these podcasts. Message me. I like hearing feedback. Get in touch with me on Instagram, Mike Adelic Podcast, Mike Brank on Facebook as well. And um, thanks to our sponsors, Synchro and Hemp Bombs. If you want a discount on ketogenic and plant-based nutrition products, go to Synchro and type in the code uh, Mike Adelic at checkout to get 20% off. And they have amazing ketogenic chocolate fudge called Keto Mana that I have all the time because it's has like no sugar and carbs in it so it's great and um and it's delicious and if you want cbd uh go to hempbombs.com and get 15 percent off all your cbd needs i guess and uh just enter the code mike15 at checkout but thank you once again to everybody thanks to danny barnett and galaxia for the music the intro and the outro i love you all peace <laughs>